Welcome to the Bethesda Church Podcast. We're so glad you've joined us today. If you'd like to contribute financially to this ministry, you can do so at BethesdaChurch.tv slash give and simply select the giving option that works best for you. Thanks again for joining us. We hope you enjoy today's message. And thank you so much for your giving. Uh, welcome once again to Bethesda Church. So glad you're here. Last week, we kicked off a brand new series called The End Times. How many of you were here for week one? Anybody enjoy last week? It's going to be an awesome series. Excited about what God is saying to us. Um, last week, we dealt specifically with Israel. Um, and I'd never preached a message about Israel and their connection to the end times. But it's important that we understand um, you know, their significance as a nation. Uh, because you can't talk about the end times without talking about Israel. Uh, we know that the end can't come unless Israel exists. And that's significant because for nearly 2,000 years they didn't. But in 1948, they were reborn as a nation. And that was what we called the beginning of the end times. All right, the Bible talks about that generation will see the coming of the Lord, and we, we, we dealt with a generation, whether that be 70 years, 80 years, you know, we don't know specifically, but if you just took 70 years from 1948, that brings you up to 2018. Come on, hit your neighbor and say, it's winding down. It's winding down. Uh, we know that one of the next major prophetic events that will take place is the rapture of the church, all right? Um, and, and if you did not get that message last week, I would encourage you to go listen to it. It will be well worth that 35, 40 minutes uh, just to understand where we are on God's timeline as it relates to the coming of Jesus Christ. Now, today, I want to talk to you um, about this subject. I want to call this the great falling away. The great falling away. In the world, we are witnessing the falling away of Christian values. We are watching the world itself turn away from things that are godly, things that are biblical, things that are Christian. But what we need to know about that is that has to happen because that is a prophetic sign of the end times. That it's not, we just sit around as Christians and complain about the world. It has to happen. The Bible says in, in the last days that many would turn from their faith. And so there is a falling away of Christian values, of people say, uh, believing the Bible and building their lives on the Bible. Um, and I got to slow down here because when you talk about the rapture of the church, I realize now, you know, when I first started preaching, I could talk about the rapture and everybody knew what I was talking about. But now when I say rapture, some of you are like, what's that? Well, the Bible talks about the fact that those who are in relationship with Christ, that there is coming a day, and I'm going to show you that it's before the tribulation period begins, where the people who love God, who are in relationship with God, are called up in the clouds to meet Jesus in the air. That is the rapture of the church, okay? That, and I know a lot of people are like, I don't even know what that is. You need to know that Jesus is returning for his bride. We are the bride of Christ. He is the bridegroom. We will be reunited, and we're going to party for about seven years. And when that tribulation phase is over, we're going to come back on the earth with a new heaven and a new earth, and we're going to rule and reign with Jesus for 1,000 years, all right? That's the Bible. Now, a lot of us, we... You know, we, we don't understand that, but just hit your neighbor and tell them, get ready. 
All right? So this means that if you are alive, which I believe many of us will be alive, when Jesus, we may all be alive. How many of it could happen today? If you're alive when Jesus returns, it means that you will never experience death. And that's significant because 100% of the people up until this point have died. They have experienced it, with the exception of Enoch, who was and was not for God took him, and Elijah in the Old Testament. They didn't experience death. And I don't know about you, I want to be one of those people that I don't even have to experience death. Amen. Wouldn't that be cool? Just go on and be with Jesus. Now, we're going to go to First um, Thessalonians, and we're going to look at what the Apostle Paul said um, in chapters 1, 2, 3, and 4. We're not going to look at all that. We're, we're primarily going to look at 4. But in First Thessalonians, all four chapters deal with the return of Christ. And with that being said, um, every, every chapter speaks to it, and he gives one of the clearest pictures of the return of Christ in this section more than any other part of the Bible. It is so profound. Look at these verses in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, starting in verse 13. It says, Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died, he rose again, and so we believe God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive... And our left will be caught up. Everybody say caught up. All right, I want to stop here. That word called up comes from the Greek word harpazo, which is, uh, there's another word for it, a Latin word, which is repare. This is, the, this is the phrase where we get the word rapture. When he says called up, you say, well, I don't see rapture in the Bible. It's because it's the word, it's the phrase called up. But the, the, the word that we use for that is the word rapture, which we just explained. He said, we'll be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, this is so important, encourage one another with these words. This shouldn't be fearful. This should be encouragement. So Paul is talking about the rapture of the church, and according to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, this takes place in the twinkling of an eye. Some have said, they've studied that out, I don't know how they come up with numbers, but they said that that, that is one-fortieth of a second. Faster than you can think it, faster than you can blink your eye, that we will be raptured into the presence of God. So all of a sudden, we, we will be taken into the presence of God. It's what we call the rapture of the church, and this event can happen at any time. All the prophetic events up until the rapture, they have taken place. A lot of the other prophecies that will, will happen will happen after the rapture, the Antichrist being revealed, the seven-year tribulation period, the judgment poured out on the earth. All those things come after the rapture of the church. Now, when Paul wrote 1 Thessalonians, um, a lot of people, when they read the, the letter, they interpreted this as they had missed the rapture. And so there was, there was uh, confusion uh, because people thought Jesus came back 
and we missed it. Now, rightfully so, if you thought Jesus had already come back and you were left behind, how many of you would be mad too? And so the people of Thessalonica are upset because they feel they've missed the return of Jesus. And so a few weeks later, Paul writes another letter, 2 Thessalonians. And in this letter, he begins to encourage the people of Thessalonica that you didn't miss it. Jesus is still coming back, but here's what it looks like. And so we're going to read in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Now, to set this up, there are really three scenes that we're going to hit today. This first scene is worldwide rebellion. All right? Worldwide rebellion. Let's read it. It says, Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. You can see here, Paul's saying, you didn't miss it. Don't have to be alarmed. He, he goes on to say, let no one deceive you by any means for that day, and the word day is capitalized. The reason day is capitalized is because he's talking about the day Jesus returns. It's an important date. He says, it will not come unless there is a falling away that comes first, and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worship, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. So Paul's writing to these confused believers who think they've missed the rapture. Uh, I could tell on myself, but several times growing up, I thought I missed it. Y'all never had that happen to you. I came home from school, mom and dad gone. I start calling people randomly. Hey, my mom and dad there? No, why? Uh, never mind. Call the next person. My mom and dad there? No, why? One day somebody figured out, you think you missed the rapture, didn't you? <laughs> Absolutely, I thought I missed the rapture. All right, so Paul is encouraging them, encouraging them that he hadn't come, but he is coming. And I want to talk about this in two different ways. In 2 Thessalonians 2 and 8, we'll read it later, the Antichrist is called the lawless one, which is one of several names given to him from Scripture. He's called the lawless one. The, the word lawless means against the Word of God. So the Antichrist is anti-Word of God, okay? Anti-Word of God. And you need to know that anti, the Antichrist is not only a world leader who will come on the scene at the time of the tribulation, but Paul also said in another place that the spirit of Antichrist is already at work in the world. So lawless means against the word of God. This is important because according to John's gospel, Jesus is the word, right? Jesus is the word who became flesh. So the Antichrist is anti-word of God. And I want to measure this in two different ways. I want to talk to you real quick about the falling away of the world from the truth. But I also want to talk to you about the falling away of the church from the truth. Now, some of you are a little older. And don't take that as a knock. I'm 40. I'm getting old. But some of you are 55, 60, and older. And the truth is you grew up in a different world than we live in right now. Many of you that are 55 and 60 or older, you grew up in a world where each day at school started with prayer that ended in Jesus' name. You grew up in a world where the Ten Commandments were on display at school. You grew up in a world where you, you felt like everybody loved Jesus, 
built their families on the word of God. You felt that your neighbors, you know, were in relationship with Jesus. You even felt like the teachers who would teach your children were in a relationship with Jesus. Now, how many know that that's not the world we live in anymore? The world has changed significantly over the last 50 years, and specifically the last 10 years, we have seen this great falling away, this rejection of of biblical values, and, and we can go back to 1962 when they took prayer out of school, 1980 when they made um, schools take down the public display of the Ten Commandments. Uh, those are just a couple of things that happened, but many are label, labeling this generation and this world now as a post-Christian world, post-Christian. It's not the same. They are saying that if trends continue only 4% of this generation will be saved. So the world is headed towards the, the end times, and the Bible says that Jesus won't return until there is first a great falling away. See, what we've seen in the world in the last 50 years, and specifically the last 10, is a rejection of, of biblical values. That's in the world. Unfortunately, it's also happening in the church. We are seeing a rejection of the Word of God even in the church. I'm going to say a mouthful right here, but I want you to grab it because it's important. Jesus prophesied that when he returned, half the church would be false. Got your attention now, don't I? Half the church would be false. In Matthew 24, the disciples came to Jesus and asked about the end times. They're like, what, what's it going to look like? You know, what, what's going to happen? When, when will we know? And all this stuff. And Jesus starts out by saying, don't let anybody deceive you. And he begins to give a graphic description of the end times. But then in Matthew 25, he gives us three parables that talk about his return. All right? And they're all important. But I want to focus in on the first parable that he gave that shows that half the church won't be ready when he returns. And it comes from Matthew 25, starting in verse number 1. It says, The kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps, went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were wise, five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight a cry was heard. Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you, but go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him into the wedding, and the door was shut. I just want to say about the rapture right here real quick, that once the rapture happens, it's too late to pray. Like, once that door is shut, like, there's not time to get it right. You missed it. Does that make sense? Like, it, it's not, oh, I need to fix myself now. No, you missed it. Jesus talked about that day coming upon you unexpectedly. So he's, he continues, he says, afterward, the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. Now, Jesus never said 
that we wouldn't know the times and seasons. He said we wouldn't know the day or the hour. We can know the times and the seasons. Um, in this story, there are ten virgins, and there's also a bridegroom. The bridegroom is Jesus. The virgins are a picture of the church. It says that when Jesus comes back, all right, the bridegroom returns, that half the church will be ready. Their lamps will be ready, and they will have oil. And I, I could stop and do a whole sermon right here because oil is a picture of the presence of God in your life. Oil is a symbol of the Holy Spirit, that when Jesus returns, about half the people will be living spirit-led, spirit-filled lives, and the other half will be so bogged down with the world that they won't even see or take notice that he's coming. They won't be prepared. I don't know about you, but I want to be able to cultivate oil and have relationship with the Holy Spirit, even if the world is rejecting God and the Bible. And he says the other half won't be ready. And, 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 and he says the other virgins, five of them, five wise, five foolish, so five of them identify themselves as followers. They identify, I'm Christian, I pray, I go to church, but really they, they're not in relationship with Jesus Christ. And, and some of you don't know this, but you need to know what's going on in our world. Many churches and denominations are rejecting clear teachings from the Bible. They're rejecting it. Many churches are pro-abortion and actually fund it. Give part of what they receive in offerings and tithes to fund abortion. Many churches do not believe in the inherency of Scripture. They don't believe that the Word of God is infallible. Many churches have drifted away from there being a real hell and a real devil. That's just figurative. There's no real hell and there's no real devil. And, and we got to stop and, and ask ourselves, is the Bible lying to us about hell? If the Bible's lying to us about hell, then why should we believe in heaven? I'm going to take it a step further. If anything in the Word of God is a lie, then it's all a lie. So I just want to proclaim in this house, here at Bethesda Church, I don't know what everybody else is doing, but we believe that God's Word is infallible, it's holy, it saved our lives. There's a real heaven, a real hell, and a real devil. And Jesus is coming back. So many churches are also teaching universalism, where there's more than one way to God. That you can get there through Jesus, but, you know, if you're good, you can get there too. And other religions, you know, you don't know any better, so they, they'll get you there too. So they're teaching universalism, which goes directly against Jesus and what he taught. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody gets in except they go through me. So Jesus made it very clear. He's either the only way or he's no way at all. He is the way. He's the way that we get in. And the Apostle Paul is telling the people of Thessalonica, Jesus hasn't come, but he is coming back. Jesus also prophesied and said, when I return, half the church is not going to be prepared for it. They're not going to be ready. And, and that is the first scene. There is, there's worldwide rebellion. There is a falling away that has taken place. The second scene that the Apostle Paul is telling us is what the end will look like when the rapture takes place. Look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, starting in verse 5. He says, do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? 
and now you know what is restraining, and, that, and now you know what is restraining, that he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. Both he's right there are capitalized. That's significant. We'll come back to it. It says, and then the lawless one will be revealed when the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. The coming of the, the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders. In other words, the Antichrist, the, the leader during the tribulation period known as the Antichrist is going to be powerful. Signs, wonders, deception. He's, he's going he's to be able to win the hearts of people. The Bible talks about the first three and a half years, there will be peace. Everybody's going to think everything's fine, everything's cool. Look at this wonderful leader. But uh, halfway in, we learned last week that he's going to set himself up as God in the temple, in the holy city, and he's going to take away from the worship of the true God so that the people will worship him. And that thrusts the world into the worst tribulation three and a half years that the world has ever seen. All right, so he, he has all this going, going on, and it says, with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth, that they might be saved. For this reason, God will send them strong delusion, that they should believe the lie, that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. So Paul says there'll, there'll be a falling away. People will turn from God, and then he talks about he who restrains will be taken out of the way. That there is something in the earth that is restraining the powers of darkness. Now, there's a lot of debate over who that is, but it is capitalized, so I think that's a good indication that is the Holy Spirit and the church that really loves Jesus. That he who restrains will be taken out of the way. How many know if the Holy Spirit is going to be taken out of the way, it means that you and I are taken out of the way because the Holy Spirit lives in me. Holy Spirit lives in you. At the rapture, all those who really believe the, the Bible, all those who are really living spirit-led, spirit-filled lives are going to be taken out of here. And the Bible says the restrainer is removed, which means that all this tribulation and all this darkness and all this deception can take place because the church and the Holy Spirit has been removed. You need to know that Bethesda Church in the earth right now, we are a restrainer. We, we are fighting the forces of darkness. We are, we are coming against the spirit of divorce and the spirit of the age, and we are here to be a light in a dark place. But when the rapture takes place, all those who really love God and stand on his word are going to be removed, and the Holy Spirit lives in us. How many know this is significant? Because what's going to happen is that a moment after the rapture takes place, you will now be in a world where there's no more preaching on sin, There'll be nobody really sharing their faith. Not going to be revival and church like we know it now. Only 144,000 Jews mentioned in the book of Revelation are leading people to Christ during this time. And the Apostle Paul, he says, the restrainer will be taken away, talking about the rapture. Now, every time I preach on the end times or talk about this, you got a lot of people. I said this last week. It's worth saying again. Pastor, who's the Antichrist? Who is he? Unfortunately, there's way too many good candidates. I have no clue who, who the Antichrist is. But look at what Jesus says in Luke 17, starting in verse 26. This is so important. He says, as it was in the days of Noah, so 
it will be also in the days of the Son of Man. He said they ate, they drank, they married wives. They were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark, and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, as it was also in the days of Lot, they ate, drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even so will it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. In that day, he who is on the housetop and his goods are in the house, let him not come down to take them away. And likewise, the one who is in the field, let him not turn back. And I love what he puts right here. Jesus says, remember Lot's wife. Y'all remember her, right? The angel was leading them out, and God had told them, don't look back, right? She looked back, and the scripture says she was turned into a pillar of salt, and she lost her soul. You say, what, what is that a picture of? It's a picture of when you and I become, we are more in love with the world than we are God. We, we find more pleasure, uh, we find more enjoyment in the things of the world than we do the presence of God. And so what that means is, is we're not really looking for the return of Christ because we're preoccupied with the things of the world. And this is significant because we, this day is going to catch a lot of people by surprise, but it shouldn't. It shouldn't. He said, remember Lot's, Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. In other words, Jesus is saying, I want you to slow down. I want you to pay attention. I am talking about my return. And he goes on to say, two women grinding, uh, one taken, one left. Two people in a bed, one taken, one left. In other words, this is a selective rapture. It means it doesn't matter if your spouse knows Jesus or not, your best friend knows Jesus or not. He says there'll be one taken, one left. All that matters at the end of the day, do you know Jesus? Are you in relationship with Jesus? I'll take one, I'll leave another. And you know why he, 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 makes, um, he, he brings this out is because Jesus knows who is in relationship with him and who's not. He says, so I will take one and I will leave the other. And this is a pre-tribulation rapture. And a lot of people struggle with that because they, they don't really grab what Paul said about the return of Christ. He said, when you, when you talk about the return of Christ, I want you to encourage one another with these words. I, I want you to build one another up. That this is not a sad message. This is an encouraging message. Um, the only reason this message would bring fear into any person's life is that if you're not in right relationship with God. If you're in, not in right relationship with God, I hope it does scare you a little bit. But if you're in relationship with God and you're following Jesus, this shouldn't be like I'm afraid of the end times and all that. It should be look up, all right, when you see all these things happening, look up. Your redemption is drawing nigh. In other words, don't be sad and fearful. Be glad about it. Jesus is coming to take us out of here. And that's, that's not meant to bring fear. It's meant to bring encouragement. And so during the time of Jesus' return, he said it's like the days of Noah and the days of Lot. There will be buying. There will be selling. There will be people getting married. All those things will be happening. And, and here's the cool thing. Noah and Lot did not go through judgment, and neither will we. We will escape the judgment that is to come. See, the coming of Jesus is compared to the days of Noah and Lot. Um, some of you are like, well, pastor, the end's coming. You know, you're talking about the end times. Should I 
store up a bunch of food? Should I buy all the ammo I can get? What are you going to do, kill people when they're hungry? Is that what you're going to do? That's real Christ-like. Just like Jesus. You need food? This is all I got. There's your food. Get out of here. Should I build a bunker? Should I, should I do all the, Absolutely not. He said when Jesus returns, there will be buying, there will be selling, there will be people getting married, all of those stuff. And in other words, here's what you need to do. You need to live your life. You need to get married. You need to have kids if that's what you want to do. You need to start that business, go back to school, whatever it is. But in that, live for Jesus, but live your life. It's not faith for me to store up food for 30 years. I'm not going to be here. You're not going to be here. I'm not saying you got to be crazy and throw everything away. I'm just saying you can't spend all your time saving up for the tribulation that you should be praying that I'm worthy to escape all the judgment that's about to hit the earth. That's what Jesus said. We'll get to that in a minute. I'm not going to have time to preach all this today. I can tell that. So keep living. Just live for Jesus. Now, there are four parallels between our generation and Noah and Lot's day. Four parallels we can draw from their day and our day. Number one, an immoral and violent world that is in rebellion to God. In Lot and Noah's day, it was immoral, it was violent. I don't have to spend a lot of time here. How many of you know we live in an immoral and violent world? All right, that's a comparison. Second comparison, a righteous remnant living for God. Okay, Noah and Lot's day, violent, immoral, but there was a righteous remnant who was still living for God. I believe there's still a righteous remnant in the earth who are alive right now that are in love with Jesus and love his word, and I believe I'm looking at a church plumb full of them today. Amen? Anybody love Jesus and his word? There's a remnant, okay? The third parallel is the sudden removal of the righteous remnant. God removed them. Before the judgment came, he removed them. The rapture of the church is the removal of the, of the true church, okay, before all these things start happening on the earth. See, the tribulation period is the wrath of God on the world. That's what the, those seven years is all about. It's the wrath of God, his judgment poured out on the world. But when Paul talks about it, he, he, he consistently says this phrase, God has not appointed us, talking about the followers of Jesus, he has not appointed us to wrath. In other words, we can escape the judgment. So we, we comfort one another with these words. Now, if we are to comfort one another with the words, talking about the return of Jesus Christ, how many of you can't comfort me with these words if you tell me I've got to go through the tribulation? How am I supposed to be comforted by that? When you read about the tribulation, listen to what happens. I, yeah, I'm going to encourage you today. Here's what happens. One judgment kills a third of everyone. At the end of the tribulation, there is no economy at all. Be encouraged, church. Billions of people are dead. I hope that encourages you. The world has been hit by meteors and comets. Are you encouraged yet? And all the life in the ocean is completely dead. Oh, I'm so pumped up. This is so encouraging. When Jesus says there will be buying, selling, and marriage when he returns, you have to understand at the end of the tribulation 
There's none of that. We can't even imagine what this world will look like with no economy and one-third dead and, and the, uh, everything in the ocean dead and no way to buy or sell unless you receive the mark of the beast, which means you're destined for hell. So you'll have mamas giving birth to babies during the tribulation period, and the only way to feed the baby is to take the mark of the beast, which means they're on their way to hell. Now, how many know that's not encouraging? Hit your neighbor and tell them, get ready. Get ready. Y'all looking like you're mad now. I don't like this. Well, get ready. The fourth thing, fourth parallel is catastrophic world judgment. In the days of Lot, the angels came to get Lot and his family, and the angel told them, he said, I can't bring judgment, God can't bring judgment until you are removed. And see, that's what's going to happen for us. There's a falling away of the truth right now. There's many people rejecting the Bible, rejecting God. There's a falling away happening. But Jesus is going to return for us. So the first scene, worldwide rebellion. The second scene is what the end will look like. The third scene is what the world will look like when the church and the Holy Spirit are removed. All right? We could sum this up by saying worldwide deception. Look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, starting in verse number 9. It says, The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish. Because they did not receive the love of the truth. You need to underline that in your Bible, highlight it, because this is answering why people are going to miss it. He said, they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for that reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie, that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Again, Lot's wife looked back, lost her soul. And he's telling us here, that this is a picture of anyone who is more in love with the world than they are God. Jesus said this in Luke 21. I'm going to tie these together. He said, Take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, cares of this life, and that day, the coming of the Lord, come on you unexpectedly, for it will come as a snare or a trap on all those who dwell on the face of the earth. Jesus is saying this is a global event when the rapture takes place, how many know that's going to be worldwide news? Okay, this is a global event. He said, watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. So Jesus says it's a global event. Don't fall in love with the world. Love the truth. Love the Word of God. And, and so many people, when you preach on this, they think, well, Pastor, you're just an escapist. I'm a spiritual giant. I'm a spiritual marine. I can take on the tribulation, period. No, you can't. You're not built for that. Jesus said clearly, pray that you are worthy to escape it. So I'm not an escapist. I'm just going to do what Jesus said. I'm going to pray to escape it. That sounds like wisdom to me. But a lot of people won't, won't receive that, and they think, I can, I'll, I'll figure it out when I get into the tribulation. And the people who are left behind will have to deal with the Antichrist, the lawless one, who comes in power, he comes in signs and wonder, all these things, and he's able to deceive people. Now, the question is, is why are people going to be left behind? What, what is it? Why, why are they given over to delusion? Paul gave us the answer. He said they did not receive the love 
of the truth. The word love is the word agape. It means, agape means total commitment. In other words, it's absolute. I'm totally committed. I'm not up one day and down the next. I'm not just picking out the parts I want. I am in love with God. I am in love with his word. I am 100% absolutely, totally committed to the word of God. Which brings me to another question. What is your relationship with the Bible? Are you dating it? Are you engaged to it? Or are you married to it? Because God says many are going to be deceived because they did not love agape, totally committed to the truth. See, Mark 8, 38 says, For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him, the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. We live in a world that is now attacking God, attacking his word, When you speak the truth, a lot of people are saying you're a bigot or it's hate speech. We have a world that is falling away, and and Jesus gives us a parable of ten virgins, five wise, five foolish. I don't want to be like the five foolish who are not ready, who are caught off guard by the return of Christ. I I also want to be compassionate. Listen, if you're a sinner... We've all been there. If you don't know Jesus, we love you. I promise you this, you won't find another church in the world that will love the sinner more than Bethesda Church. We will love the sinner. So I want to be compassionate. I want to be gracious because without his grace, where would I be? Obviously, I wouldn't be holding a microphone preaching to you. We've all needed his grace. And I say I want to be compassionate, I say I want to be gracious, but I say that in connection to we can be compassionate and gracious without watering down the Word. It is possible to be loving and still speak the truth because Jesus was full, John 1, 17, the law given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus. He was 100% grace, 100% truth. And I want to say it like this. Truth without grace, truth without grace is surgery without anesthesia. I grew up in a church that had truth and no grace. They didn't preach false. They preached the truth. But there was no grace mixed with it. When they preached on the coming of the Lord, I left church saying, I am going to hell. I hope you don't leave saying, there's no way, I'm going to hell. I hope you leave saying, praise God, that this was a mercy-filled moment so I could get the stuff in my heart and life on track before Jesus comes back. I don't have to go to hell. It's kind of like the guy who attended church and he, he hated his pastor. Go figure. They asked him, why do you hate your pastor so much? He said, because he preaches on hell every week. That pastor eventually left, and the new pastor came in, and he preached on hell every week. But he loved this pastor. 
And they asked him, why do you love this pastor? He preaches on hell every week just like the last one. Well, he preaches on, he, he answered, he said, he preaches on hell like he don't want me to go there. The other one preached on hell like he wanted me to go there. How many know there is a difference? There is a difference. Truth without grace is surgery without anesthesia, but grace without truth is a bottle with no medicine in it. So if all we are is grace and there's never any truth, we'll never be healed. We need grace and we need truth. As the worship team comes back, only grace and truth can set us free. Jesus was full of grace, full of truth. And you need to know the person who tells you the truth is the person who loves you the most. It, you know, we, we can love people and still give them the truth. Jesus said, when you see all these things happening, these end time signs, he said, I want you to look up because your redemption is drawing near. See, this is a grace-filled moment because this is the Holy Spirit's way to help us deal with any areas of compromise in our own heart. Any place in our heart where we have sin or bitterness or unforgiveness. It's amazing that we'll sit in church and judge people for committing adultery or being hooked on drugs, but we sit in church and we got bitterness and unforgiveness and we don't like people. We're no different. It's an opportunity for you to deal with the areas of compromise in your own heart. See, if there is sin, this is an opportunity to deal with that. And I thought about this this past week. Do you know that Jesus, not only did he who knew no sin become sin so that you and I could become the righteousness of God, but Jesus was crucified on a cross naked in front of the world and even his own mother. You know what Jesus was saying? I'm not ashamed of you. I'm willing to go through all this to be in relationship with you. And if he went through all of that to be in relationship with us, church, let's be light in the darkness and let's not live ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ for it is the power of God unto salvation. Anybody thankful for grace and what Jesus has done for you today? Come on, stand to your feet. Come on, give God the best praise you have all day if you're thankful for his grace. you to bow your heads and close your eyes. No one looking around. Thank you for giving me your undivided attention these last 40 minutes. This is an opportunity for you to make Jesus the Lord of your life. I hope this message didn't bring fear into your life. I hope that it gave you, it gave you hope. Helped you to see that a Savior died for you. Wants a relationship with you. If you're in this place and you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior and you want to make Him the Lord of your life, this is your grace-filled moment. If that is you, throw your hand up right there where you are now. Come on, raise that hand. If that is you, is that you today? Say, so that's me, Pastor. I need Jesus. I need to make him the Lord of my life. Thank you for the one online. Thank you. Any hands in the house today? Any hands in the house today? You say, that's me. Wait just a moment. Anyone at all? I want us to pray with this one online. Every voice lifted. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. I believe 
that you came, you died, and you rose again. Today I confess you as my Lord and Savior. I repent of my sins. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Amen. Come on, give God a hand clap right there. Amen. Were you blessed by the Word of God today? Come on, give God a praise as our prayer team and staff comes. If you need prayer, come for prayer. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Bethesda Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and our website, BethesdaChurch.tv. Thank you for joining us and have a great day.